Welcome to Life Changing Money, a podcast all about one of the most taboo topics in the world, money. I'm your host, Barbara Shrehan, and we're going behind the scenes on business owners' journeys to money, success, and wealth. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Life Changing Money. I have an amazing client with me today, Taylee Hunt. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. You are so inspiring. You started in real estate just a couple of years ago, and you're like crushing it in a market where houses are less expensive than other markets. You're making a lot of money, and you have big goals this year. I see you posting that you want to sell 100 houses this year. Yeah, that's right. So I started real estate at the very end of 2020. I found out that I was pregnant the day of my real estate exam. I had my daughter in March of 2021, and it's kind of gone since then. My first year, I sold 28 units. Last year was my second full year. I sold 86 units, which was 23 and a half million for me. My average price point is about 275. And this year, I want to sell 100 houses. You will sell a hundred houses. Thank you. Even in this crazy market, huh? Yes. Trajectory is a lot better this year. So last year in quarter one, I sold seven houses total. And this year I should sell at a minimum of 18 houses this quarter. Right now I have 20 that are under contract and sold as of the beginning of February. And those will spill over into quarter two. So I think quarter two will be massive. I hope so. Because last year in quarter two, I sold 32 houses in three months. So I'm hoping that I'll do more this year since it seems to be flowing that way. Amazing. Tell our listeners, because I'm sure they love your accent, where are you from? I am from North Carolina. I live in Columbia, South Carolina. That's where I work. But I'm originally from North Carolina. And I'm a member of a American Indian tribe, the Lumbee tribe of North Carolina. So a lot of people there sound just like I do. Wait, I lived in North Carolina. What part did you live Um, in? Near Fort Bragg, about 45 minutes south of Fort Bragg in the Lumberton, Pembroke area. So not, not too far away from that main military hub there. Okay. Yeah. So my husband was stationed at Bragg for five years, but we lived in Raleigh. Okay, cool. Yeah, that was like an hour and a half drive from our house. We would go every once in a while to go shop and it was the best place for us to go because there wasn't much in our small little town. Yeah. And you're a fellow military spouse, right? Yeah. My husband is Army. He has been active duty for the last almost six years, but he is switching over from active duty to the reserves to join me in the real estate world, which is super exciting. That is so exciting. My husband got out too after 14 years and joined us. Well, I think that when you start having some sort of financial freedom, it gives you the ability to make choices that you didn't have prior to. Yeah. One of my questions was going to be, if you had to move again for the military, you'd have to start all over with your pipeline, but you're not going to have to move again. No, we're not. His unit with the reserves will be here in Columbia. And that is one reason why we decided to stay and for him to switch over because it would cost us way more money to move than it would for us to stay here. When I first started real estate, I remember my coach at the time said, you know, how much money do you want to make? And I said, I just want to make as much as my husband. And then last year I've made about six times as much as my husband. (laughs) So It doesn't make sense to leave. It does not make sense. 
Do you like it there? Yeah, we really like it. We're only about an hour and a half away from family. It's just far enough, but not too close. We are about an hour and a half from Charlotte, close to the beach, close to the mountains. So we've kind of made it our little home as a family of three. So take us back to like, what made you decide to be a real estate agent? Well, I started real estate after graduating with my master's in business. I used to work for the state of North Carolina in higher education. And then COVID happened and a lot of state companies and corporations, they were having budget freezes. So they just weren't doing a lot of hiring. And my job at that time was not remote. I traveled for work. I recruited high school students to come to the university that I was working at. And when COVID happened, Happened, we moved to this remote world. So I picked up all my stuff and I went to South Carolina because that's where I really wanted to be every day. And then I realized I want to move here permanently. We're engaged. It's what I want to do. So I did. And every higher education institution around me was just having major hiring freezes. So there wasn't a readily available position in what I had been doing. So mm-hmm. I decided to get my real estate license because at the time I thought there's reciprocity in different states. So if we are to PCS and move, then I can pick back up and start over somewhere else. We want to have a child. I can have a little bit of flexibility and freedom if I want to and just do enough work to be able to contribute. And then it just took off. And I was not expecting that. I put everything into it that I could. And I think it was because of the fear of failing. So I just worked really, really hard and it paid off way more than I ever thought it would. And it kind of just snowballed that way. And I got busier and busier and here we are. I have heard the statistic and I don't know the exact numbers, but something like 90% of agents don't sell a house ever. Yeah. Do you know what that stat is? I think it's um, something something along the lines of 90% of agents fail within the first three years. And then most agents don't sell one house in their first year. It's very uncommon to see people just blossom really fast. Most people, if they stick with it, they eventually see that success. I would say, but for the most part, most agents fail. We have a really high turnover rate. Obviously you had to work really hard, but how did you start? You're just like, okay, I want to sell X amount. And what were your steps? How did you get clients? So I really wanted to sell 10 houses my first year because I started in the end of October of 2020, got my first client in November and that was new construction. So it took a couple months to close and that was set to close in February. And I was having a baby in March. So I thought I'll take a month off from maternity leave and then I'll get back started again. But that didn't happen. My first client sent me to someone else and then agents in other areas started sending me referrals. And I really used social media to grow because I was in this point of COVID was happening I was pregnant or I had a newborn and I was just nervous to get out too much and I didn't know anybody. I had started in a brand new city and state. When you start real estate, everybody says, you know, call your database and tell everybody you're a real estate agent ask for them to send you business. But everybody I knew was in a state that I wasn't licensed in. So I had to create my own sphere. I had to create my own database. I started out with literally nobody in there. And from there, it just kind of catapulted. I used social media every single day. Instead of cold calling, I made content. I lead generated people who could possibly move here, but I also lead generated other agents because my thought process was if I create authentic relationships with these people, they'll send me business. Those people can send me more business locally. And then I'll become the local go-to person for Columbia and Fort Jackson and Shaw Air Force Base. And it worked. I worked all the time. I constantly 
put stuff on social media and I interacted and formed relationships and built community. And I still do it to this day, just at a, I would say probably at a higher level than I was doing it then. Yeah. I love you're like, instead of cold calling, I created content. Yeah. I like that a lot better. I have a degree in public relations as well. So branding and knowing who you are and having that good relationship with the community, I learned all of those things in college and I did not think that they would influence my career, but I think so. I think just the the knowledge of learning how to be a good business and then learning how to learn about the back end of business from my master's program. I think those two things put together have really helped me have a different worldview on what it is I do every day. Cause it is about selling houses. It is about helping people, but ultimately we don't do things for free. Like we do things to build business and to make money and to provide. And so I think of it that way too. Yeah. I love that. We use social media as well. We weren't very many accounting firms posting about how to save in taxes on Instagram, but same as what you're saying. I'm like, I don't want to just go to coffee with a million people that I don't know. And hopefully one day they'll use me in their business. So I was like, I'll just use social media and it also leverages your time you know you can reach out to thousands or millions of people with one post yeah that's right every single time you get on social media you have to think of yourself as being on a stage and having the opportunity to speak to as many people as possible and what has happened is it created such a solid foundation for my business I was able to get a a good amount of business. And then I was able to treat people really well and do the best job that I could do and form those relationships. And now those people are raving fans. So I think about it like this. Anytime somebody asks me who I use for taxes, or if I have a suggestion, I'd send them your website. Anytime someone asks my clients for a real estate recommendation, I want them to do the same thing. And so I was constantly lead generating through creating content and I still do, but now my clients lead generate for me because they spread my information out so far and wide that people will just reach out to me and say, Hey, I've seen a lot of reviews for you. We're interested in working with you. And gosh, referrals are so much easier to close than just a random person that sees you on social media. Yeah, they are because people already have an innate trust in you and trust is money. You know, if people can trust you because their friend trusted you or an agent that they know trusts you or whatever avenue, you know, you receive that information from, those people will have, I mean, I have people that reach out to me and say, we want you to sell our house. And then I give them some minor advice over text message and they say, well, whatever you think we trust you and I've not even had a full conversation with them but they just trust my guidance because of what they've seen online and what other people have said I love that you're from a small town what sort of money mindset stories did you hear growing up my mom and dad my mom was 21 when she had me and my dad was a few years older than that and I remember when I got my first real job after college and I think I was making at the time probably what both of my parents made together and it wasn't a lot I was making like $37,000 and you know at that point I really realized wow we don't we don't talk about money a lot or times have changed or I'm like in a better position at 22 than they were at the time I remember thinking god how did you afford to have a kid. But I remember growing up and asking, I don't remember which parent it was, but I said, how much money do you make? That's not (laughs) your business. 
That's yeah. what they were saying. We don't talk about that. That's not your business. Don't ask people that. So we did not talk about money at all. It wasn't until I got older and my dad started selling life insurance that we would sit down and have conversations about this is going to be a good week. Or, you know, if I can get X, Y, and Z done, then, you know, I should make X amount of money. And the first time I ever realized that he made decent money by doing that, at this point, I was in college. He had gotten a bonus from because he had sold so much, whatever the threshold was, he had gotten a bonus. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. Wow. <laughs> you, you got a $20,000 bonus. That's crazy. But as a child and as a teenager, we did not talk about it. It wasn't until I got older in college that we really started talking about financial stuff. And even then we never really talked about the struggle or, you know, we don't have this or mm-hmm. we can't spend this much money because we just don't have it there. So I know that there were probably moments like that, but we never openly had discussion about it. Yeah. I think that's really common. It and was then- thing like we did I didn't ask because I knew yeah. not to yeah hopefully this generation's a little bit different with that I feel like our generation we grew up without any financial literacy because we weren't supposed to talk about it yeah I agree and so my husband and I talk about it all the time very freely we talk about this is our goal for the year this is how much money I should make by whatever month you know we just hired a financial advisor so we have someone who tells us based on your goals this is how much money you should be putting aside and my daughter is only almost two but when she gets a little bit older I intend to do the same thing for her and we put money aside for her on a month basis as well. And I even made a TikTok one time. I went to Louis Vuitton and bought a little $800 purse and I gave it to her. And I said, I'm buying my daughter this purse so that nobody can impress her with something minimal when she's 15. She's going to be like, my mom bought me a Louis Vuitton purse. Like that doesn't impress me. I don't need you. (laughs) I want her to have that feeling of independence, you know? I love that. So because your success was so fast, did you and your husband have a tense moment where he's like, oh, dang, my wife makes more than me? No, he actually was like, wow, I should be a stay-at-home dad. But I will say that when he decided to switch over to the reserves, his leadership was, wow, you're switching over to the reserves because your wife wants a career? Shouldn't she be supporting you? How selfish of her. And maybe not in those exact words, but that was the tone, you know, of like, she should be able to sacrifice for you. And he said, she makes way more money than me. Why would I not? support her. And I think he's just very realistic and not very insecure, you know, of like, I have to be the head person. He's more so, he stands from the standpoint of whatever is helping our family. I don't care. And that's the way we look at it. But it was hard at first. It was hard. It's it's weird to go from making $37,000 a year to making that in a month. And now what do your financial conversations look like? We're going into a very new phase of our life because we have always had As long as we've been together, we've always had a consistent W-2 every two week paycheck. And that is totally changing at the end of March. We're no longer going to have that. So our financial conversations these days look a lot like we need to be a little bit more frugal than we probably have been in the last year because we're going into a different stage of life and we just need to be prepared for that. When we first started making more money, you almost have to give yourself a reality check of like, this money may not be here forever. So the first thing we did was pay off a lot of debt. We, We didn't have a lot. I mean, we did not have like hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, but we paid off our debt, everything except for our house. And then after that, 
we saved $60,000 last year. That was our goal was to save $60,000. So we had that conversation. We did that. And then once we had saved that money, we were like, okay, we've saved the money that we wanted to this year. We're going to enjoy this money. And that's what we did. We bought a new house. We sold our other house and we took the money from that and we went to buy a rental property. But right now we are always talking about how can we be financially smart so that we don't have to do this forever. No, Mm -hmm. we don't want to be working until we're 65. We really want to not be working by 40. So that's the goal. I love that. Yeah. 40 is my number too. Not that I'll be doing nothing, but not working this hard. Yeah. Well, you want to be able to have the option, you know, if I want to work, then I can, if I don't want to work, then I don't have to. And that is the goal. So we want to buy several investment properties. I just did a TikTok the other day and it has blown up. We want to buy our daughter a house and put that in her name in, Uh you know, a trust or something because I think it will set her up, you know, she'll have an investment property before she's five. And then when she goes to college, she wants to live in it, she can, or she can rent it out or she can sell it. So we just really want to do as much as we can to leave like a legacy for her. But ultimately we want to be work optional. We want to work when we want to. And if we don't want to take on a client, then we don't have to because we don't need to. Yeah. I love the story about buying her a house. Our youngest, well, the kids go with us to our rental properties. If we have to do repairs or, you know, someone's moving out or whatever, they've just always grown up like going with us to our investment properties. And we always tell them, and especially our youngest, well, we have these houses because it provides a clean, safe house for people that otherwise can't buy a house for themselves. And my five-year-old has a jar that he puts all the coins in. And we're like, when your jar fills up, you can buy something that you want. And he was like, I want to buy a house for someone so they can have a safe house to live in. And I'm like, you know what? I think when he fills up that jar, I'm going to buy him a dang house for someone else. It was just so cute that a five-year-old was like, well, I want to buy someone a safe house too. They're listening all the time, you know? They are. And it's difficult when you go from making, gosh, I was making maybe $2,000 a month. And now I just can't imagine that. I mean, our mortgage is more than $2,000 a month. And so it is a little bit of a mindset shift. You know, you have to, and it's also like, do I deserve this money? You know, what should I do with it? And so we're really big on trying to give back and do whatever we can to help other people. But I grew up in the poorest county in the state. So it is a little, it is a little different. And at one point I was sharing my story with agents and trying to like inspire them and say, listen, you can do this too. I'm a mom. I made $600,000 last year, over $600,000 last year. And I remember, remember somebody from home saying, God, like, why are you so bragging about what you do? And, and it's not coming from an unhumble place. You know, it's always saying, wow, I can't believe this is my life. And Mm -hmm. I'm happy to help you figure out how to make this become your life or how to have some sort of financial independence and freedom. But it's hard because you grow up in this place where not that there aren't successful people, there are a lot of smart, successful people, but statistically is the poorest county and you move away and you are making a, what a lot of people would spend five years making, if not yeah. more. And it makes you feel a little guilty, even though you're working really hard. It makes you feel a little like I need to be quiet about this because I don't want people to feel like I think I'm better than them, that type of thing. Well, girl, don't be quiet about it because you'll inspire someone. I love the quote, someone below you will never, wait, what is it? Like, I just, I someone, else, someone ahead of you will, you. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, I shared that on Facebook the other day. I think it is Denzel Washington that says it. Nobody who is doing better than you will criticize you. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Oh, and I think it's true. I mean, I think that for a lot of situations, that's true because people who are doing better than you don't have time to think about you. They have time to think about what they're doing and how they can continue to do better. And I get that. When I talk to my husband about it, he's like, you know, just dust it off. You're going to have haters. If you don't have haters, you're not doing enough. But you still feel that. I grew up in a tribe of people, like a legitimate tribe of people. And there's so many people that are ridden with poverty and drugs and violence. And there are really great people too. But when you grow up and you see that, and then you are out of that and you're doing really well, it's hard to ever want to go back. And then people say like, oh, they think they're better. They would never want to move back home, but we love it. We love our life now. And so you always do feel that little bit of guilt of like, we never talked about money growing up, but when you get older, you do realize that there are places around the world and people around the world that are doing much better. Mm -hmm. And maybe you want more for yourself, but I don't think we should feel bad about that, even though sometimes we do. Yeah, for sure. What pieces of advice are you giving your husband? Is he going to be an agent? I don't know. Right now, he really is very interested in the back end stuff. So my husband has a math degree and he was a finance officer. So he handled budgets for the army, billion, multi-billion dollar budgets. That's what his job was. So he really loves the logistical project management, finance numbers stuff. So I think that is something that he is really interested in doing the back end stuff, but also the investment opportunities. He really likes to think about how much money can we make on this property per day? Is it worth it financially. So his brain works better that way than mine does. But the other day he did ask me about commercial real estate. So I don't know, we're about to head to a conference and I think he's going to take some classes on that to see if he's interested in it. But right now, mostly the back end stuff and then dealing with our financial investments and things that we want to do in terms of buying properties and renting them out and kind of handling that. I want to make sure that he has a purpose, you know, and he feels this is his thing. He works on this because when you're working in this rigid military, environment to go to having a bunch of flexibility. It's also tough on your mindset. So Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that he has his own thing. He can do his own thing, but he's a real big numbers guy. And I think that interests him more than anything else. Yeah. Identity is really big for men in the military in terms of, you know, their identity is tied to the military. So when my husband was getting out, we did the same thing. We joke, like I make the money and he spends the money in terms of does all of our investments. Cause I don't have the time to think about it or run the numbers or see if it makes sense. Or, you know, maybe one out of a hundred deals will go through. And so we have a similar situation. We like it that way, I think. Yeah. And then it's like, I don't have to bug him about things. He's in his own lane. I'm in my lane. Yeah. And the good thing is, is we have options. You know, if he ever wanted to go back active duty, he could. Because of his background in the military, I don't think it would be extremely difficult for him to find a nine to five. But there's something, there's something about freedom of not having to say, hey, can I take this day off to go on vacation? I mean, I remember working nine to five and having to submit time to go to the doctor and having to justify that with someone else. And I never want to do that again. I don't care what happens. 
<laughs> Unless there's no other option, I never want to do that again. I love having the autonomy over my own schedule. I work for other people when they hire me and I have to make time to do what it is they need me to do. But I also can easily say, I don't want to work with this client if I don't want to, or I can ask my assistant to go do something for me versus if I don't have time or if I'm going out of town or whatever the case may be. So I just like having that control. And I think that he does too. Yeah. So we have a ton of real estate agents as clients. What would be your top tips for them on how to scale? I think it's really important for you to run your business as a business and not a hobby. And I think that's what a lot of people do. I think you have to jump into it head first and say, I'm going to put every single thing that I can into this. And in order to get the result that I want, not everybody wants to be like a mega agent who sells a hundred houses a year and whatever your goals are, that's fine. And that's the cool thing about real estate is you can sell 15 houses a year. And if you're happy with that, then you're happy with it. But if you want to scale, if you want to be big, I think at some point you have to really take the blinders off and be very critical with yourself and say, what am I doing? And what am I not doing at a high level? What can I do to improve? And there just can't be any excuses, right? So my first year, I took my daughter with me everywhere. I had a really bad postpartum anxiety. So the thought of leaving her with someone stressed me out. Mm -hmm. Everyone once in a while, we would have family who would come in and I would have somebody to watch her that day. But for the most part, she would be at inspections, closings, showings. She would sit beside me on a Zoom and everybody would see her pull my hair and see me get her off of me. And I never, ever let it stop me. There were times when I was exhausted and tired, but I knew that I had to want it more than I didn't want to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And I knew that if I just worked hard enough, if I just worked through it, if I was just consistent enough, then I would get to the point to where I didn't have to feel that way. So I got to the point to where I could financially feel comfortable to hire someone to come into my home and watch my daughter. And then I was able to hire an assistant and another assistant and another assistant. And now these people help to take some things off my plate. I still work like all day, every day. But if I want to go away, I can because I have reinforcements. So I have so much more leverage and that allows me to take on more clients and to grow my business. But I wouldn't have ever gotten to the point to where I needed that leverage or I could afford that leverage if I wouldn't have just ran it like a business and not like something I only did when I felt like doing it. I think that's oh. the problem a lot of people have is they do it until they don't feel like doing it and then they stop and then they yeah. get disappointed in their progress and they start again and you just have to keep going all the time. I love it. So I have some rapid fire questions for you. Okay. I don't think about it too hard. Okay. What's your go-to coffee drink? I don't drink coffee. I drink tea. I drink tea or like a little fruity drink from Starbucks, but I love the medicine ball tea even when I'm not sick. Yeah. I had that one yesterday. And then it kept me up. Apparently it has caffeine. I didn't know yeah, that. It's good. It's really good though. Yeah. What's your next big goal besides selling a hundred houses? We want to buy two investment properties this year. And next year I want to scale and build a real estate team. Mm, I love it. If someone were to give you a free private jet or free five-star hotel stays for life, which one would you pick? The jet. 100%. I want to go anywhere and I don't want to deal with the hassle of an airport. Yeah. What's the next fun purchase you want to buy for yourself? Well, I just bought a pink Chanel bag, so I don't think I need to make any fun oh, purchases. So cute. I've been wanting a Chanel bag. I don't have one. I just got a hot pink one and I'm so glad that I did, but I actually want to, I've had three cars in the last year. I really want to buy my husband his dream car. 
That's what I want to do. Oh, cute. What is his dream car? A truck? He wants like a really decked out forerunner and the highest whatever they have, the model that they, that he loves in a certain particular color. And he's been sitting on the sidelines driving my car, my old car for the past two years. And I think it's about time that he gets what he wants. Awesome. I hope you find it. Well, thank you for being on the show. Where can our listeners find you? You can find me on Instagram at Taylor sold it at taylee.soldit and then on TikTok at, at taylee.soldit. And if you go to my Instagram, there's a link to find me everywhere else. Awesome. Well, thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the invitation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life Changing Money. Don't forget to subscribe. And I would love if you left a review and shared it with your friends. See you next time.